Hello, my name's James Pikeway. <laughs> Can't even get the words out. This is Doc Talk with Dr. Jenna Burton. You're listening to Potaholics. What are we talking about? Pain. That's it. We're going to talk about pain today and specifically feet and how they connect to everything else. The foot bone is connected to the hip bone. I have evidence. <laughs> Jenna, it's been, you, you know, you were saying it's been a while since we podcast and I, it's been over, what, two weeks now, right? It's, but doesn't it feel longer today? It does. I feel like you've been absent in my life for two whole weeks. Oh my goodness. You know, I, it's it, been a long week. It's it's the podcast family because I it was the same kind of thing. I hadn't hadn't uh, connected up with Colin from We Will Fix It for a long time, and it felt like forever since we'd sat down and had a chat. And he calls it his therapy session. So we just did a you know a classic therapy session where he just went on about all the things that are going on in his life, and there we go, and that was <laughs> it. So which which essentially is every podcast I do with everyone. We only end up talking about all the things that are going on in our lives that somehow connect with the topic usually are you are you charging him for the therapy <laughs> he, he said I he would pay me <laughs> most people have to pay good money for that james <laughs> you know and, and the thing was the whole time we're talking all i'm thinking is of cheryl or sama over at the clinic thinking you know what she just i just need to, to gently pass her number to him because clearly he needs to have a chat <laughs> <laughs> But it's nice that he's very open on the podcast. I, I, I feel like I need to take a listen to his last few just to kind of find what's going on in Colin's life. Well, I can tell you what's going on. He decided he's going to move. They, so they've given up the house they're living in as of August 1st with the idea being that they're going to find the house, the one that they want to move to. And so they, they've, moved, they've literally given up their lease. It's done. Someone else is going to move in, but he hasn't found the house for August 1st yet. So... <laughs> Yeah, your face is exactly the situation that he's in. But, but why? Why did he want to move? Like, if you find somewhere that you would really like, why would you bother? He wants a pool. He wants a pool. That's Colin. Yeah, he wants a pool. Oh, I thought you were saying that's Colin. That's just, well, just Colin. That, that is so Colin too, but... So we also have to move and we're devastated because we, we, we only moved here last year. Yeah. But if you can believe it or not, even in the middle of a pandemic, what's going to be the biggest global recession in the whole history of mankind and our landlord has, has increased our rent. So How yeah, is that it's, possible? it's not something that we want to do. And, and gosh, who can be bothered moving with having to pack all the boxes? Uh, oh God, I mean, I, I can't even think about it. I'm in denial. But yeah, we've got to move. When, when, so when's move. your moving date? Not till September. Oh man. So I, I don't understand your landlord's putting up the rent. My landlord put down my rent this year. They, you know, and I thought, well, that's really nice because I wasn't even at, I was happy to keep it where it was. And they said, no, we'll, we'll drop it down a little bit. So I thought, man, this is, this is a good deal in a pandemic. They don't want to have to do any work and move people in, but that's a tough one. That's a real tough one. It is a tough one, especially because there's so many properties now available, especially in the UAE, mm. that are now half the price of what we're paying. So this time last year, we thought we got you know a decent deal. We were happy to pay it. But now you look around and, I mean, we could move. We're, we're in a, a three-bed apartment, but we could move to like a four or five-bed villa for like much less than we're wow. paying. But we, but we love where we live and it's yeah. home and we so don't want to move, but our hands being forced. So what do you do? Yeah. So have you found a place close to where you are now that you can uh, shift to? I'm too much in denial. <laughs> I'm in denial still. I'm pretending we don't have to move. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still pretending, James. I just, oh, the thoughts of it. I, I've moved 
to 13 different houses in the past 10 years. Oh, no, no. I, I, so I've lived in the UAE for 20 years. We've never moved. I don't blame you. It's not by choice, but we, I was in university. You would get different placements in different areas. Then I moved to Australia. Within Australia, we did a stint in one mm. place. Then we moved to another. Then we moved back home. Then I met James and he was in a one bed. And then we moved to two beds. You know, it's like just yeah. kind of progressed like that. And I'm so sick of moving. So when we moved to this apartment, we said, right, that's it. We're never moving again. <laughs> so fast forward 12 months and we, we didn't see the landlord being, um, well, a, a, a tad unreasonable, shall we say. Yeah. Well, good luck. I'm sure you'll figure it out and come out of that. Busy? You know, I'll, you know. <laughs> Maybe, but you know what? I know, I know someone, if you're having trouble with denial, I know this lady named Cheryl and, uh, we're, and she, she's great for a conversation just to, to help people work through things so that it doesn't become this little mole of a, you know, this little tiny thing, this, this anxiety for moving doesn't become, you know, some really big thing. Would that be Cheryl Wasama from Vivimus Clinic? By that might be her. Our, our psychologist. Yes. <laughs> and I know her well, she's there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure she'll probably read into the fact that I, I'm, I'm in denial about it. But but I think everyone's the same. You know, there's a lot of stress going around at the moment because everybody's packages have changed. changed. Oh, we were talking before we started recording. We were talking about how many people have been laid off. Oh. I know friends that work in HR and they said their entire jobs now are just supporting those that have lost their jobs. And, you know, it, it's really, it's, it's a, you know, difficult situation. I, I, I think that whole, this whole stress thing, and I'm starting to read more and more about it and seeing more happening in the Emirates and more, you know, organized programs for families and kids who, at least in Dubai, they've just started to loosen that all up. But there's, I think the whole other side is this long-term anxiety and long-term stress with job losses and the, and the kids as well, when parents lose their jobs and they see that and they see the emotion and they don't know what's going on and where are they going to live and what does this mean? And and it's it's huge and and I, I and I, I guess different ages of people take it differently and where we're from in different countries and then can I travel back to my country what are the implications of that gonna be it's it's such a giant mess when we start talking about how to handle it it's it's scary it really is frightening and I think it unsettles people not just in the short term but the long term so we have lots of friends that are very settled in the UAE and there's no doubt about it. They have 100% projected their life here, mm. not back in the UK or not back from their respective countries, but they're settled and they, they envisage their families growing up here. They've been thinking about schools, the future, etc. Yeah. And suddenly when something like this happens, it shakes them a little bit. It's kind of, you realize that the foundations, you know, we all love Dubai, we love living here. But as you said, as an expat, it makes you realize that, you know, you can't necessarily stay unless you've got a job. Yeah. And it maybe makes people question, should I invest in a house here? Or, you know, it just makes people reevaluate a little bit. And I think that's sad. And I, I kind of hope that things settle down quickly so that people do resettle back into what is their adopted home. I think it also says a lot about the employers and how employers are handling this. And it makes me think a lot more about what kind of management training the people who are managers are in companies and in organizations, because have they taught these managers and do they have any skill and are HR people, any skill in change management and crisis management and, you know, just human crisis management and how to deal with all that. And I think some companies are doing a really good job of that. And some companies are just ignoring it 
And, you know, it's, it, I, I heard someone talking today and they were, they were saying that they're really unhappy with their company because they say, Hey, now we're, we're back at work. And it's, yes, we're back in the physical place, but these people are going, hold on a second. I've been working for three months at home more than ever. It's not, we're now back at work. It's now we're back in the building, but work has now taken on a different, a different character. And they're saying this is, this is, it, it, it's hurtful to them. It, it makes them feel devalued. Yeah. And I, I think this is a really great time for companies to take a look and see how are they doing this? How have they done it well? If they haven't done it well to fix it now and to start becoming that a little bit more caring and understanding. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of disgruntled employees and there's been a lot of uh, false reassurance, people that have been reassured about their jobs and then the next minute the, the rugs pulled from underneath them. There's been a lot of situations where people are just told on one day, look, this is a new contract and like it'll lump it. And I think if people understood a bit more and there was a bit more communication, maybe they'd be more understanding or receptive. But, you know, it's, uh, I guess we're all learning from this experience, the companies and the employers as well as the employees. So, for the next pandemic, we might be a bit more prepared. <laughs> well, and you know, the other one that, that is still just now really starting to settle in, and we, we talked about this right at the beginning, was all of these folks, because we're, we're an expat population, so an expat working environment, I think in the in the past we haven't, you know, you're in a different place, but hey, I'm an American company or I'm a British company or I'm a French company and I've got my employees now here in Dubai and yes, we're expats, but there was just that sort of, we're taking the same ethos that we apply overseas and we're just bringing it here without accounting for the fact of that word expat. And now all of these expat companies have another predicament on their hands where their employees who typically take that vacation and go back to their home country, that's part of their psychological deal. They're not going back because they can't and they, they, you know, it can't be facilitated. How are they dealing with that? Because some of these folks are now getting pretty disgruntled and feeling, well, I'm being denied a vacation. I'm being denied a holiday. And the companies are obviously saying, no, no, you, you get your holiday. You just can't travel like you used to and they're there people are having that the expat population has a really big big challenge processing that because that's been the way it's always been and how do companies deal with that well for sure and in fact we've, we've touched on this in a few times previously but there isn't really much occupational health support in many companies here in the uae or elsewhere either for people that are struggling with kind of not necessarily just mental health, but even just like emotional upset Mm. generally. So they don't understand why can't I take my holiday abroad? Why can't I go and see my family abroad? You know, we've discussed before, you and I, we've both got families overseas and it was never the gig that we came here and we couldn't leave. You know, we might not have chosen to live as an expat if we couldn't see our families. And and that's it. It, it, It's really helpful for people to have an outlet within work where they can like talk about it and question it and 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 as you as I said before about work really communicating to say look you know you are going to get your holidays but you know it's just it's a one-off there's hopefully when things settle down you can go and you can go abroad and see your family members or additional compensation is met to have maybe an extra bit of time off to go when things do settle down and yeah I guess I guess it's hard because everyone's in survival mode aren't they the yeah. companies included and I guess they're doing what they can and we're we're saying it'd be nice to have a bit of communication, but they're probably in panic and overdrive. How do we survive? Yeah. Well, and, and then, you know, in that whole, in that whole mess of things, 
you get us, we're heading, you know, you got your home gym, you got your gym things out. I'm, I'm out running every morning with the dog and it's getting hotter. I got to tell you, I mean, we all know this. It is, it is getting crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's funny because you just start to notice things. And, I, and we've been talking now for, for months and I've been talking about on and off about a, a hip injury that I have or thought I had. And I'm, I'm now almost 100% convinced the hip and is not the issue. And I sort of got a, a, an indication of that when I went and visited my osteo and he was doing all the, the manipulations because he was a little worried that maybe there was some rotation issue or there's some calcium or something. And it turns out, you know, his, as he did the comparison without doing a scan or a test or a whatever, he said, it's free moving. Like your hip is not the issue really, unless it's some nerve damage somewhere. But he said, your, your hip is moving fine, which made him think it's something else. And, you know, and of course I thought, well, it did some of this stuff, some of that, until I realized finally after, after doing a whole bunch of stretching and some long, you know, repetitious repetition of doing it and it loosened things, I realized it's my foot and my calf that are causing the problem in the hip. And really, I think it's the foot. I don't think it's the calf at all. I think the foot is causing a problem in the calf that's causing a problem in the hip. And I went, what the heck is going on here? And then James, I'm sorry, this has really tickled me. That was the most tenuous link from employees <laughs> during lockdown to your feet. That Isn't was that the amazing? Best effort I've ever seen to bring us back to topic. Isn't that, that amazing? An award. It's only an 28, award, 28 minutes, five seconds, and I got us back on track. Well done, well done, James. That's excellent. But yeah, like what you're saying is so true is that. Often we ha we experience pain in one area of our body, but we don't realize that it's from somewhere completely different. Yeah. And as you said, or you know, the, the hip bones connected to the, you know, whatever bone. And and it's we are we are skeletal system that has got knock-on effects from one to the other to the other. So if somebody came in and they had knee pain, the the, the rule of thumb is that you examine the joint below and the joint above as well uh, as the knee. Okay. You also compare it to the other side. And, and that is because sometimes pain in the knee can be from the ankle, it could be from the hip. And as you said, you know, our feet, they're, they're the foundation, they're what we walk on every day, they manipulate the way our entire body moves. Yeah. And we've talked a few times quite recently about trendy, savvy areas of medicine. Feet are not exciting. People don't necessarily like feet, they like knees. Orthopedic surgeons love going into knees, love hips, love shoulders. And it, it's much less trendy to want to go in to, to have something to do with the feet. And yet it's something that affects everybody because, as I said, the way that you walk, even slight discrepancies have huge complications for the rest of your body, even mm. your shoulders, your neck, everything. So what, what is, I mean, I know podiatrists, but those aren't doctors, right? A podiatrist isn't, is, that's not a doctor. That's a, 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 a technician of sorts. What's a foot doctor called? A foot doctor? It's an, it's an orthopedic surgeon oh, okay. usually. So, an so it tends to be... So there's a few different people that look at feet. Podiatrist is an excellent resource because they look at how you walk. So they're, they are um, specialists in effectively like walking podiatry, which mm. is you know, the, the investigation of how one walks. And so they will look, do you tend to move your feet in? Do you move outwards? How do you strike the floor? Is it with your heel? Is it with the ball of your foot? And then they tend to create insoles appropriately to help adjust and align the way that you walk. So that's, that tends to be the main job of the podiatrist. And they can also help identify, right, we've got pain here, here, and here. Uh, this is why it's occurring because of the style of walk that you have. The other people are chiropodists, which- Chiro I've never heard of that of, one. 
Have you never heard of that, James? No. I'm like, do you know why? Because you're not a little old lady. <laughs> so if you were a little old lady, you would, you'd be regularly in with the chiropodist. And that is somebody that then treats byproducts of the skin of the feet. Oh. So a lot of people get corns or uh, mild problems, uh, again, because of the way that they walk. And a chiropodist deals with the more superficial aspects of the feet. And then the, the other two would be a rheumatologist. So if somebody has a rheumatological reason for why they've got foot pain, they might have a type of rheumatological arthritis, et cetera. You'd see, an, you'd see a, rheuma, um, a rheumatologist. And if it's because of the bones in your feet, uh, then you would tend to see an orthopedic surgeon mm. and not forgetting our sports medicine, which is a more recent branch of medicine. If it's all because of sports injuries, nothing to do with the skeletal system necessarily. So it's not as if you need surgery or it's not something due to a, a, a malalignment that you need more intensive uh, investigation than a sports, um, a, a sports medic would be someone that you go to see. So it sounds a bit complicated, it but does. it's not really the... Uh, this is why a GP is always good to go to because they'll point you in the right direction. You know, this and this is where we're going to get to that conversation in a second. But yeah, in, figuring out where to go and having someone direct you, I think, is, is really important. B back to the foot thing. You know, there's you've got the, 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 the muscular skeletal whole interaction. And I totally underestimated and under considered how many small muscles there are in your feet that have an impact on the way the bones are interacting, which then have an impact on, you know, the, 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 the connections and the, the nerves and one small little change in something has a huge impact. And I think that's where my, my problem is, is I've got, I've just got to work on loosening up these, these foot muscles so that everything just sort of flows better. And it's been a long-term thing, I think. It's not just the muscles, though. It's also a lot of foot pain can be a byproduct of not having fat in the right places on your feet, mm. the way that the bones are aligned in your feet, whether you've got areas that are like some of the joints, especially between your toes and your metatarsals can be a little bit drop. That can have issues. And the other thing is that we talked, uh, I think, just last week or the week before about being tight in our hamstrings and calves. Yeah. And if you're tight in your hamstrings and calves, it pulls on the fascia underneath the foot and affects how you walk and, again, can cause pain. So it's all it's all very interconnected and quite a complicated system. Yeah, it sounds to me like this is a whole area that people don't realize they ignore and they treat, you know, take a Panadol, take whatever, get something without actually trying to figure out what's going on. And also the, there's been more foot injuries recently because a lot of people have decided to do this barefoot running. So people decide, right, I'm going to start barefoot running or alternatively running in trainers that are not appropriate. So, I mean, gosh, when I was training for the marathon, <laughs> I decided to do a run in my DKNY trainers, which were totally wholly inappropriate for running. And when I was in the middle of training, I did a 10K run and I had actually fractured my foot already and I ended up doing the whole run on on this fractured foot and I was in a right mess by the end. And when I went to see the orthopedic surgeon, he, he told me to bring my trainers and he was just like, well, what on earth? What do you expect? And likewise, if you're running barefoot and you've not prepped your feet, you've not built up the muscles in your feet, built up the hard skin that's appropriate in your feet as well to do barefoot running, you can end up with good going fractures, Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, lots of different things with your feet. So you know, you don't take them for granted. You have got yeah. to work with them and build. You don't think about building muscles in your feet, but I, and I didn't mention physiotherapists before, but 
physiotherapists are really big on build muscle up in your feet. Mm. I, I, I've started just with some basic stretching exercises recently, just trying to loosen things up. And it's amazing some of these foot stretches that you can do that and some just some of the things that people do generally and i i was it was funny because i was just watching some people how they how they stand how they sit how they crouch and i realized i was watching one one group of people just i think they were actually at the grocery store and i might have mentioned this to you they were restocking a shelf and and i i saw these people doing this again and i was paying attention to them and they weren't actually flat foot they were standing on their toes but they were crouched and i was looking at this going hold on a second if you're if you're in that position it really stretches the whole underside of your foot and i thought huh i'm gonna give that a try and because you know the more i've done flat foot squatting i've gotten really good at it and and everything started to loosen up and so i i did it you know staying on my toes it was a totally different ball game and i felt it right underneath the arch of my foot right up to my heel i really felt it pulling and i said hey these are muscles that clearly aren't getting stretched like that and i thought this is a good thing and the more i've started doing that the better it's starting to feel. And where I really feel it pulling, in my calves, which is why I figured I've got some calf issues that are tight. And it just never dawned on me, never even became something that I thought I should be doing. And you know, it's funny because I've just reeled off a whole load of different medical professions. So we've just said podiatrists, chiropodists, physiotherapists, orthopedic surgeons, rheumatologists, <laughs> and who else? Sports medics. So there's a load of people that look at the foot. And yet majority of the problem is just because people don't stretch. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so all these people that will probably, in 90% of consultations will give you the same advice that, especially in your posterior chains, that's, you know, your bottom, your, your lower back, your um, hamstrings, your calves that people tend to be very, very tight there and they don't stretch it out properly and therefore it can cause significant problems with foot pain, but also as you've experienced hip pain too. Yeah. It was, it's funny because, and then when we, we talk about stretching, cause I don't think we, you're right. I don't think we stretch enough and I can't remember. No, it was you. You were telling me about your, your dad, your dad's the stretcher. Oh, he's, he always drives your crackers in the morning, get up and you don't get anything out of him for a good half an hour, 45 minutes because he's doing his exercises and he's had the same, when I say exercises, it's stretching usually. And he's had the same stretching maneuver and routine since I was born. So every morning it's just like, God, could you not change it up a little bit? But no, he's got his winning formula. So yeah, he does it every day and it's without, largely without injury. So you he's, know, he's got the last lap. As soon as I started doing these stretches and, and the, the interesting part about it is, is, is a lot of people stretch. I mean, we've all been on sports teams and we know that you got to stretch. And I realized all the years on cross country running teams and all the years on swimming teams, I was stretching improperly. I wasn't stretching correctly until I sat down with someone and he said, okay, here's the stretches you want to do. And he said, and hold the stretch for 60 seconds at least. He said, don't just do the one, two, three count and you're done. 60 second hold, which when you think about it, that's kind of a variation of yoga, right? Some of that yin yoga is about three minutes to five minutes you hold things. This, this person's saying at least a minute for your stretch is what you need to do to get any benefit from it. And as soon as I started doing that, Jenna, as soon as I started doing stretches multiple times a day and just, you know, a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there and holding them within a week, we're talking 90% reduction in discomfort that was being caused by these things. I'm going, no, and that's no medication. That's no extra thing. That's just, and doing everything still, like I'm still going out and doing a jog in the morning, but I'm doing these stretches and the, 
you know, the discomfort is gone. 90%. But don't forget, don't forget as well, you know, years ago, people were just generally active, weren't they? Yeah. They probably never had the injuries that we have now. Whereas you and I, we both have jobs where we sit down quite a lot. So we're sat the majority of the time. Then you suddenly get up to exercise. Do you spend long enough warming up? Do you spend long enough cooling down? Especially, I mean, I, I know I can be bad for this because if you've got, sometimes in the day, you might only have half an hour in order to get your workout and you really want to get it in quickly. So you can skip the bits in the beginning and the bits behind. And I always think, you know, a really good gym or a sports facility where they, they, they say, no, if you want to join in this workout, even if you're late, please just do 10 minutes of, of warming up or stretching first. Uh, and it's true because we do, we kind of, we take cold tendons, cold muscles, and we just go hell for leather sometimes. And we, we expect them to just be able to cope. And, and the problem is, when we do things like that, they actually shorten and stiffen, which mm. exacerbates the problem. You you were saying that you'd, you've had some chronic foot pain. How, how have you dealt with that? So I, I have had, I've had pain forever. So um, history is my, my poor mom, she's had about 16 operations on her feet. So it is a, like a, a, there's a, a, a patch of hereditary um, foot, foot problems in there. Um, and I have very mild spina bifida as well, which means that you basically have like a small, almost like a little gap in your in, in your spine. It's um, I have it very very mild, and a lot of the population do have it. But how it's impacted me is on largely on the way that I walk. So my husband likes to tell me that the least attractive part of me is my feet, and you can actually see that because of the way that I've walked, there is certain bony prominence that uh, are very visible that you, you don't see in other people's feet. And it's because of the way I've walked out. And if you, if you walk on certain aspects of your feet in a way you're not supposed to for too long, you actually develop more bone there. Mm. And that is your body's response because I suppose effectively every time you put pressure on the bone, you wear it down slightly and the body's response is to build it up. So I, I have these really interesting areas on my feet that stick out a little bit. And then for years and years, I just had really bad shooting pain in my feet. It would keep me up in the night. I'd get really bad cramps in my toes. I just, you know, I did what most people do, ignore it, uh, and just hoped it would go away on its own. And then eventually, I just, I just decided I was going to go and see someone. So I went to a sports medic here in Dubai, and he just told me I had a thing called Baxter's neuropathy. And it's not something that we we particularly familiar with. It's not something that... I would have come across, for instance, in GP land, it would be something more like a sports medical or orthopedic surgeon when they've seen more regularly. Um, and it basically is just a byproduct of, of trapped nerves within the feet. And he said, how long have you suffered? And I said, 16 years. <laughs> and he honestly couldn't believe I'd just ignored it for 16 years. And I, and honestly, like, if if anyone sits down on the couch next to me, my, my feet get put up towards them to say, like, do you want to give them a little rub? And no one ever does. Um but yeah, like we, there's a lot of small things that niggle people and can make them feel a bit lethargic, a bit tired, but you just ignore it because you don't want to be a, a bother or you don't want to cause a fuss. And he gave me injections that day and it, it, it was just like, it was like a miracle, wow. like a miracle cure. And how long do the injections last so that you, you get that cure for? Is it forever or does it, you know, does it no, have a time on it? So there's, there's a few different types of injections you can get now. So the most common that we know of is a steroid. But the problem with injecting a steroid into the foot, which is quite a small, narrow area, is it can affect the blood supply. Mm. So one, you can get like a blackening of the skin. It looks like more like a dark bruise. And the other is it can just generally long-term affect some of the, the blood vessels. 
So more commonly nowadays, what's being used is a glucose injection. And they're not entirely sure how it helps, but it does. And my experience was that the pain within maybe 12 to 24 hours had completely eradicated and it lasted maybe just a few weeks. So it was wonderful, but I suppose it was just not long enough for it to mm. be worthwhile for me. Like I, I say it was great. And at the time I thought, I wish I'd gone see this sooner and uh, see someone about it sooner. But yeah, it just didn't last forever. And that's the problem, especially we're talking about feet, but just pain generally. There is no, often there is no magic pill for it. So it's nice to know. I feel glad I know what it is. It kind of gives me some reassurance. Uh, and I know there are things that I can do at home, like just sort of general massage. Uh, I can put ice just on my feet when they're, they're really, very, very painful. And I know that the injections there, if it ever gets so bad, I need a bit like a few weeks break from it. Mm. Um, but often with pain, it's kind of, what do you do? You can't just keep taking paracetamol and brufen every day. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because we, we talked about podiatrists and the first thing that would come to my mind is I wonder if an insole, some kind of insole wouldn't help at least with the pressure that's being applied on the foot as you walk and those kind of things. And, and I don't know what kind of shoes you wear. I mean, I, I'm sure you like to wear high heel shoes every now and then. In fact, I'm sure I've cool. seen you in those. Those can't be good for your feet and for this pain either. I mean, this is, this has got to well, be another element. Well, that's it. And you make a choice in life, don't you? Because I could really go down the line of when I was a child, I had to wear insoles in my, in my shoes. I wear them when I'm uh, running. I have special insoles for running and I could, you know, I could have them in my, my footwear every day and maybe I would feel, you know, quite a big relief from it. But you know, I like, I like wearing my flip-flops on the beach and I like wearing my high heels when I go out. And I suppose, you know, I'd rather take some pain and, and accept a more normal lifestyle. So it depends on the severity of your pain. Yeah. Uh, it's not like it's totally debilitating for me. It's uncomfortable. It bothers me more at night time. But I, I've lived with it for a long time. Whereas there will be other people. Um, so, for instance, my mom, who's had 16 years worth of foot pain, she will wear anything on her feet that are comfortable she will not do anything that exacerbates her pain, you know, and that's, that's a whole different level of pain, isn't yeah. it? And that's normally judges a physician when someone comes in and tells you they're in pain. If you make a suggestion, they say, oh, no, I'd rather not do that. You know, they're not really in that bad of pain. Mm. You know, the, the, the one that the thing that we've been talking about, and I think it, it brings it it brings it back to several of our podcasts, especially when we talk about injuries and we talk about long term pain and we talk about all sorts of these issues. It's I'm, I'm constantly thinking now about, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the line. Where am I going to be? What's going to be going on? And I, I, how how much when, you know, years ago, I never thought about, okay, this activity is causing this pain, which is leading to this muscular skeletal issue. How, how am I going to deal with this 20 years from now? Or do I start dealing with it 20 years from now, now, like your dad who does the stretching so that he doesn't have these issues and, and create a routine to start the management of something that clearly could be a big issue when I'm in my seventies. And I, and I think that's just something I, I wonder when we start to think like that, when do we start planning in that way? Don't forget, as you get older, and I'm talking about in much more advanced years, you don't necessarily feel pain as acutely mm. um, because everything starts to numb. So your senses numb. You might not be able to see quite as well. You can't hear quite as well. You can't. Your sensation of touch is, is, is dulled a little bit. But also that often comes with the sensation of pain being dulled a little bit too. So it's not sort of a trajectory of, well, if I feel this pain today, oh my goodness, it's going to be worse tomorrow and worse day after. And 20 years, it will keep getting worse. 
you know, our nerves do get saturated by a certain point. And they, as we get older, they do actually dull down a little bit. Um, not for everything, but, uh, you know, and, and nobody's the same, but as a general rule, but mm. that, that's something that's widely accepted. Um, and, but I do think it is very good. And we've talked a lot about prevention and also acknowledging your limits. Yeah. I went to see um, an osteopath a number of years ago, and he just said to me, look, you've got to remember, you're not 18 anymore. <laughs> and I'm not saying that that means that we should just accept first line, right, I can't do this. But I, I know I can't run as much as I used to. I yeah. get knee pain, I get foot pain. It's probably largely based on the style in which I run, which I, you know, I could go back to basics and properly address. But I've kind of just accepted I'm just gonna not going to run as much and I'll do something else. Yeah. And you, know, you, you don't get given everything in life. You have to either decide if I want to do something, I'm going to have to work at it. I'm going to have to do my stretching properly. I'm going to have to, you know, take the time and the effort to, to allow me to do something that doesn't fit as comfortably with my body as it did 10 years ago. Or you accept that maybe you have to do something else. You know, you know, the other side of that is, and, and I, I think that's a, that's a great piece of advice to just to remember that, hey, you know, you do change. I mean, I noticed it already, not, and, and just in the last five years, how fast I, you know, just at a basic pace, how fast I can do a 1K run or a 5K run. And I don't tend to run anymore. You know, after I did the marathon, I don't tend to do much more than a 5K run in one shot. But the speed that I can do it with regular running, so I'm not out of shape, I'm I'm in great running shape, but I don't run that 5K nearly as fast as I was five years ago. And I, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. And there's, you know, I don't know if there's any good reason for that. Maybe I'm just lazy, but it's, it's, I find it interesting. But James, don't forget, five years ago, you probably put other things in your life on the back burner because remember, you were on that huge fitness thing. Mm. You were going to in a fight all the time. You're training with your son. And, and that's cool because that was, that was your priority at that point of time. Whereas what I'm saying is there are a lot of Olympians that have to retire at a young age. It's because our bodies change. And, and even the difference between a 25-year-old and a 30-year-old is quite significantly different if you are really going to be competing at that level. However, there are some that decide, I want to keep going a little bit longer, but they dedicate so much of their life to just doing that thing. Mm. So whereas at the moment, James, you're doing podcasting, <laughs> you're teaching the whole world how to public speak, you know, you've got, you've got a new dog, you've got a lot on. So although you, you know, you're still going out and you're doing five Ks, it's probably less of a focus and, you know, it's not if you decide you want to run, it's not just about running, is it? It's also about building up the muscles to assist you with running. Mm. It's making sure you stretch to assist with running. It's it's doing lots of other things that help you run faster. So it's just probably less of a priority, I'd imagine, with I, you because you're doing so much as it is. I'll, I'll tell you one thing, running in the morning with the dog, which basically he's running me, is, uh, the, the, <laughs> and it truly is, he is truly running me. And, and, and I get a great upper body workout because he does not like cats. And this, 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 this English lab, which is, you know, he's coming in at 44 kgs when he smells a cat, he, uh, he lets you know. So you got to be on, you got to be constantly aware of what's going around you because if there's a cat and he sees it and you don't, you could lose a shoulder. <laughs> but the positive side is after a run, I get into the jacuzzi hot tub and I'll get to tell you that is quite the reward. And I, I take it purely as ther therapeutic with my feet at the jets and getting a nice foot massage every day, every morning, sitting there with an espresso after that little run. And that's it. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you go, if you went for a sports massage for your feet, they'd probably spend 
half the time, if not three quarters of the time, actually massaging the backs of your legs yeah. and everything else as well. And what's what's the harm? There's a lot of um, athletes that would get regular massages to keep exactly. them supple. It's not about doing your own stretching at home, but you can do something like that to help. Yeah. You were telling me before about your holiday from Thailand where oh, man. you go and get stretched. What pole? What pole? The Wat Pole Clinic in the Wat Po Temple is, you know, and it's funny, and we were talking about that, but it's it's funny when you go to some, if you if you go and get a Thai massage, so you go to the, you know, the the Six Senses Massage Spa, and you go in there, and they say, oh, have you had Thai massage? And if it's a true Thai massage expert, and you you start talking to them, and you say, you know, they say, well, where have you had massage before? And they say, oh, Wat Po, and they go, oh, Wat Po, yeah. Because everyone knows, oh, it is it is the place. Like if you're getting trained, you know, truly trained in Thai massage, you would have spent some time at the Wat Po Center because it is that place. And it's well known worldwide if you're in the massage circle. <laughs> so that just takes me back to being traveling in Thailand and we would go out overnight and we'd go to a few bars and then we decided we want to get a Thai massage. And we never really knew whether we had it or not because it'd be 11 o'clock at night. We'd end up falling asleep during it. We think, did that? Did we have one? Did they stop? <laughs> We're not sure. Uh, but they are, they're fantastic. And uh, you look at the different types of massages because Thai massage is particularly good at stretching you. Yeah. You know, everyone's got a different type of massage technique, but Thai massage is specifically for stretching and opening things out. So it would be a really good idea. Well, it, and and, it- but going back... Sorry, go on, Jane. No, I just want to jump in for a second. Then you really realize because, hey, you're in Thailand and you're getting these massages like every day, how good you feel. And then we come home and we get back into our chairs and we get back into our routines and, you know, massage costs a lot more. So we, we really cut back and we do much less, if any. And no wonder we're aching and paining because we've been limbered up this through these this whole technique of stretching. Absolutely. And th- there is a Thai massage um, outlet in Dubai, you know, it's really well renowned, like renowned near Al Manara area. Um, but my friend told me when I go, I have to ask for somebody called Ice. And I got a little bit dubious as to what type of Thai massage parlor it was. Um, but he said it's absolutely, it's fantastic, like really fantastic. So maybe that's worth a visit. Okay. You got to give us the name. We're going to have to, we're going to have to get that one on once they... We'll attach it. Yeah. And um, but one thing that we, we can't talk about feet, James, and we can't not mention something called plantar fasciitis, which is what I wonder whether you've been suffering with. Hmm. Give it, give me the, what are the symptoms of plantar fasciitis? So first of all, to tell you what it is. So plantar fasciitis is underneath your foot, you've got something called a fascia and fascia basically means like a connective tissue. So it connects the bottom of your foot to your Achilles tendon, to your calf, which obviously is then connected there near onto your hamstring. And what a lot of people, especially runners or people that do repetitive movements with their feet, uh, they tend to experience significant discomfort. So it's pain. It tends to be between the heel and underneath the foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be more like a burning type pain. Mm-hmm. They, the, the hallmark symptom is they get up in the morning and they feel like they can't walk. And it's because everything is just so tight under their That's foot. That's me. That's me. You just, so, yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, typical with runners, really typical with runners. Uh, often can as well get um, cramping pain in their toes, especially the outer toes. Uh, and, and their little toe can suddenly start going off on a little tangent. Uh, and again, that's because the fascia is so tight, it's kind of pulling all the toes uh. out. Um, and if you get plantar fasciitis for so long and you perform an x-ray, you can actually see there's like a little bony spur. So they have like a little bone that that actually forms underneath the heel, which sometimes I can actually need to be surgically removed. Huh. And that's because it's so tight on the heel 
that the heels actually produce this bone. I was telling you before, if you basically make like a, a bit too much pressure on a bone, it can make more bone. So the heel actually makes a little extra bone to assist and to stop the pulling being quite as hard on, on the heel. Mm. Um, but it's really, really, really common. Uh, people can feel like they're just desperate to put some ice on their foot. Massage is brilliant for plantar fasciitis um, from under the foot and also um, calves and, and hamstrings and lower back. Uh, acupuncture is also very good because it can help release the fascia. Um, and a lot of people will spend a lot of time going to see their physiotherapist or even a, even a lot of osteopaths will deal with uh, with plantar fasciitis. Um, but yet, basically, the the deal is is that you need to keep stretching. That is the main thing of plantar fasciitis, and loads and loads of people suffer with it. There you go. I, I think I'm definitely, I, the way you've described things, I don't have any toe issues, but the rest of it sounds about right. And especially in the morning, getting up, forget it. The, the first step, it's like, I, I, don't, I can't move. It loosens up right away. But the first, you know, five steps, it's like, I'm going to die. It, it really is horrible. It is horrible. <laughs> what can it's you like do? shuffling along. Yeah, it yeah. is. And it's just because in the morning you've not stretched out. The other thing you, you can get is you can get splints to wear at night time that basically keep your foot at 90 degrees mm. and help stretch everything out. And people absolutely swear by those. I've had really good um, results with that. And you can actually even order them. They're probably not as good as going to your pharmacist or through your general practitioner. But you can order some on Amazon. Just get some plantar fascia splints. They're really big, ridiculous things to wear in bed, but they can really help just help stretch when you're not even realizing it helps stretch everything out in the nighttime. Huh. Okay. Well, there we go. I think we've, 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 we've got a few solutions today. We kind of got where we wanted to go. And, uh, and I'm, I'm mindful of the time because I know that you've also got a, you've got a, a appointments and things that you've got to do. And Jenna, this was, this was a great talk. It's great to, it's great to start again. We've, we've been off for a few weeks, but we'll be back. It went so quickly. That's the only problem is, is it, it just goes so quickly like this. I, you know what? I look forward to our next one. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you just never know where we're going to go. We, we sort of stayed on track today. We kind of got, after 28 minutes, five seconds, we got in. So that's good. We didn't even touch the surface of, of foot issues and, and problems. But I think I think plantar fasciitis is probably the most common. And just the, the, the thing we just, the take-home message is you've got to stretch. There we go. It's that simple. Take-home message from Dr. Jenna is you've got to stretch. You've been listening to Doc Talk with Dr. Jenna Burton. This is Podaholics. If you want to get in touch with us, Podaholics with a K at gmail.com. Podaholics with a K across all the socials. And no matter how you're listening to us, by all means, leave us a little bit of a rating. Leave us a comment. We'll get back to you. Always fun to chat. Keep in touch. You've been listening to Doc Talk on Podaholics.